Chapter 9 Interviews and Auditions The thing to remember about the Mages of the Dark Era is that, despite the name, this was a time of discovery and enlightenment. The borders of magic were pressed back by bold individuals who did not think in terms of traditional dogma or boundaries or balances or limitations. Spells were cast for the first time there by wizards who never thought of the full potentials of their actions or by the same token, the full repercussions. Arkal, Argivian Scholar. The guard closed the gate door behind Joda, feeling his way to slam home the bolts and bellowed for another servant. One appeared, a portly man, dressed as a butler, who then escorted Joda down the main hall. Joda left his lantern with the door guard and added that if the guard blinked often, his sight would return faster. The guard thanked him for this information, his eyelids fluttering wildly. The hall itself was wide and sumptuous. The ship that had sank beneath Joda's feet could have fit comfortably inside this hallway, and its mast would have not even graced the ceilings. The floors were marble, but covered with thick rugs of ornate design. Joda looked at them, and the name of the weaving came to him. Falaji. They were Falaji rugs, though there had not been any Falaji for hundreds of years. The walls were hung with thick draperies of rich, dark velvets. Occasionally, they would be parted for a doorway, or, just as often, for a large portrait. Joda noticed that both the door guard and the portly servant wore torques, metal collars that were opened slightly at the throat. The door guard's torque had tips that ended in round spheres, while the butlers ended in wolf's head, leering at each other across the front of his thick neck. Both were made of dull metal and had a familiar spiderweb of silvery material spun across them. The butler motioned for Joda to sit down on a velvet-covered chair, and the portly gentleman assured him that someone would be around to see to his needs shortly. There was a painting directly across from Joda, which even given the full width of the wall, loomed over him. It was a full-body rendering of what Joda assumed to be one of the castle's inhabitants, or even a noble ancestor. The figure in the painting wore a dark silk shirt and dark pants. He was festooned with a golden brocade vest over the shirt, which bore large crystalline buttons. He held in one hand a hat, wide brim with a gold feather, and his other hand rested on the hilt of a rapier. The portrait's face was calm and self-assured. The figure had dark hair, with only a few streak of gray at the temples and a thin mustache that framed a hard, unyielding mouth. He wore a jewel cuff in the right ear, the left being hidden in the portrait, and a huge ruby stone ring on his right index finger. The portrait's eyes were particularly striking. They seemed to look at the bottom of one's soul. They were very much like Primata Delphine's eyes, and that made Joda very nervous. Joda was staring at the portrait, so intently, that he didn't notice that he was no longer alone. Only the laughter woke him from his revelry. Could this be a new pupil? said one man's voice. Or a new servant, said another male voice. It's so hard to tell when they've gotten here, until they are properly torqued. It's been so long since we've had either, said the first. Student or servant, that is. There were three of them, two men and a woman. The men were dressed in a similar manner to the figure in the portrait. Slacks, shirt, and vest. One was dressed entirely in red, down to his boots. The other male was in green, though he had a purple vest that was marked with all manner of arcane symbols. The second male was fatter than the butler, and it was clear that his purple vest had not closed in some time. The woman was peacock by comparison. Her gown was a radiant collection of blue and green silks that seemed to simmer at the light reflected off of them. Her gown was open at the front, and a torrent of ruffles spilled from the top 
matched by a similar train dropping from her hips behind her. Her skin was dusky, the color of coffee. Her hair was black and frosted and piled on the top of her head, held in place by numerous combs and what looked to Joda like several serviceable weapons. Joda noticed that none of them wore torques. The woman leaned down over Joda, and he caught a heady whiff of her perfume. So tell me, child, she purred in a fluid, strangely accented voice. Are you in, or are you gin? Joda's eyes watered at the sharp smell of musk. I'm sorry? The fat man laughed, and his red companion said, Our friend Drusilla here fancies herself to a touch of the desert in her heritage. She wants to know if you are a mortal or mage. Joda blinked back the perfume. Both, I suppose. Then he added defensively, I can cast spells. As can we all, my boy, said the fat one, slapping his companion on the back. See, I told you so. New one, fresh from the hinterland with a dream of power, a glimmer of magical ability, and no idea what to do with either. Well, lad, he turned to Joda and patted his expansive belly. You'll find out soon enough if you measure up to our requirements and join the Conclave of Mages. Jonah tilted his head slightly and said, Requirements? What requirements are you talking about? Yes, friend Lucan, said a new powerful voice from behind the fat man. What requirements are you talking about? The fat man stiffened, surprised at the sound of the voice, and quickly stepped to one side. Drusilla and the red-dressed man had already stepped back as well, revealing the new speaker between them. The arrival was a stocky, muscular man with a thin, neatly trimmed beard. His hairline had receded to produce a wide patch of forehead, now furrowed. He was simply dressed in leather leggings and a white ruffled shirt, which did nothing to conceal the muscles of his arms and legs. He wore no jewelry. Joda noticed that he wore no torque as well. Joda also noticed the new one's eyes. They were blue and sharp as daggers, and locked on the fat one, Lucan, who now was caught in a long stammering apology. I was speaking in jest, friend Barl, managed Lucan finally. Of course, said the one called Barl, in a clip direct tone. I would assume so, friend Lucan, since you would know better to share the secrets with any stranger. Barl was looking not at Lucan, but rather regarding Joda. Joda thought of him as a butcher, sizing up a cow, but returned the newcomer's gaze calmly. For his part, Lucan blanched, the blood leaving his face entirely and heading for other parts of his body. Of course, friend Barrow, he gasped. I know better than to share secrets. You have other matters to attend to, suggested Barrow. Lucan's face relaxed. Of course. Why, yes, I do have other matters to attend to. And with your leave, friend Barrow, I will attend to them forthwith. Barrow nodded imperceptibly, and friend Lucan was already down the hall a great ship carried by unseen winds, friend Drusilla and friend dressed in red in his wake. Joda watched the great form in its purple and green retreat and then turned to look at the man the others had called Barl. The stocky man was regarding him, but it was no longer the butcher sizing up cutlets look. Joda said, I'm sorry if my arrival created a disturbance. Barl turned slightly, then said, Come, let's move to a quieter study for our talk. Barl passed Joda, and the younger man rose and followed. Joda noticed that he was taller than Barl. Indeed, Lucan and the others were taller than the muscular, simply-dressed man as well. Yet Barl radiated his own aura of confidence and power that made him seem much, much larger than he was. They passed several more doors and numerous portraits, 
most of them of the man with the mustache, like the one in the main hallway. Behind one door, there was the sound of music and laughter, but Barl did not slow. He came at last to a small door, set with a silver rune in its center. He touched the silver rune, then opened the door. Come in, he said, and make yourself comfortable. The room consisted of a sideboard, a large desk, and two chairs. One was positioned behind the desk. The other was much smaller and simpler, and set to one side. Joda took the smaller chair, and Barl walked to the sideboard. He produced a piece of parchment, a vial of black ink, a quill pen, and what looked like a beetle. He sat in the large chair behind the desk and laid all four items in front of him. Just a moment, and then we can begin, said Barl. He opened the back of the beetle and poured the ink into it. Then he set the plume between the beetle's jaws, and the pincher closed on it, holding the pen between them. Then he placed the beetle, still clutching the pen, on the upper left corner of the parchment. Interview with a prospective adept, said Barl, leaning back slightly in the chair. Barl, artificer to the conclave, reporting. As he spoke, the beetle moved across the parchment, inscribing deeply in the surface and filling the carved lines with ink. The result was extremely small, extremely readable printing. Barl mentioned the date and time as well, but Joda was watching the pen. Only when Barl said something else and Joda read upside down the words, and your full name is, did he realize that Barl had asked him a question. Uh, Joda, said the young man. Joda of Giva province. As he spoke, the beetle moved to a new line and dutifully took down his words, including the pauses. Don't worry about the recording, Scarab, said Barl. It takes down everything, or tries to. Use it on someone with a bad cold, and it produces all manner of interesting spellings. Joda looked at the stocky man and just nodded. Barl gave a slight tolerant smile. Why are you here? He said. Pardon? Said Joda, aware that he was being recorded as well. He took a deep breath and said, Excuse me? What is your purpose here? Repeated Barl, with the calmness of a man who seemed to use such discussions. I came. He thought of the ragman and the warning for silence. I felt a need to be here. There is strong magic here, he added, thinking that sounded big enough to be true. It felt right. And you arrived how? By the front door, said Joda. Before that, said Barl, waving his finger horizontally in a circular motion for Joda to roll back the time. I, Joda wondered how much Barl knew. I wandered into a cave. The next thing I knew, I was here. And have you used a haven before? said the stocky man. Haven? said Joda. The cave, said Barl. We use them to move across long distances. We use them, Joda thought. Instead, he said, I didn't know what it did. And did you do anything while you were in the haven, in the cave? Joda thought of the brief fight with the dark guardian. I fell asleep. That is all. Barl was silent, looking at Joda, and stroking his beard. He did not have the piercing serif primata Delphine. Instead, Joda got the feeling that this small man was trying to see him in totality, to see him from all sides at once. If anything, it was more disconcerting than the primata's gaze. I'm sorry, said Joda after a moment. Barl leaned forward. Nothing worth apologizing for. You have magic? On me? said Joda. 
No, I had a mirror that might have been, but I lost it. He looked at the beetle, riding upside down, and noticed that it had paused where he had. I meant, do you have the capacity to cast spells? said Barl. His brow furrowed slightly. Oh, said Joda. Yes, I guess so. White mana, as one would say. I would make curative potions and produce light. So Alex at the door attested to me, said Barl, and the thin smile had returned. He has gotten most of his vision back, by the way. Joda was unsure what to say in response. That's good, was what he finally settled on. Yes, said Barl. So you're a white mage? Yes, said Joda. And your teacher is a white mage as well? No, said Joda. Red. I mean, I think he was a red mage. Used red mana. Was, said Barl. Joda took a deep breath and wondered if the beetle would record the weight. He's dead, he said at last. The church. We know a great deal about the church of Tile here, said Barl, making a sour face. A great deal indeed. Then your master is dead? Yes, said Joda. And you found your way home here by means of which you are not certain? said Barl. Yes. What was your teacher's name? said Barl, raising his eyebrows slightly. Vasca, said Joda. His name was Vasca. Barl the artificer said nothing, but slowly shook his head. The name obviously meant nothing to him. Any other wizards that you know that might speak of your abilities? Joda thought of Sima very briefly, but said nothing. He just shook his head, then added, No, for the benefit of the scarab. Any relative skilled in the magical arts? said Barl, cocking his head slightly. Not really. I had a great-great-grandfather, Jarsal. He was supposed to have been a wizard. Joda looked hopeful. Barl shook his head slowly. The name seemed to carry no more meaning to the artificer than at Vasca's. He said, I suppose this Jarsal is dead as well? I suppose, said Joda, in a tired voice. Anyone else who might come forward with the tales of your ability? said Barl. Joda shook his head. There are some a few members of the church who might have a few things to say. Not a group we could contact directly, said Barl, smiling grimly. The beetle had reached the bottom of the page and chirped expectantly. Barl took another piece of parchment and put the beetle on it. The beetle waited patiently for his next words. Why? he asked. Why? said Joda. Why? repeated Barl. Why did you come here? Why do you have to study at our conclave of mages? Joda stammered, aware that his words were being taken verbatim, then stopped and took a deep breath. Why was he here? Because some ragged figure led him here? Because he was pursued by the church? Because Sima and Vasca and everyone else he knew were dead? At last, Joda said, Because I am tired. I am tired of being cold all the time. Tired of being hunted. Tired of being hungry. And I think magic can change that. The rest of the conversation covered minor matters. What Giva province was like, like Mother's main name, and the like. They spent a long time talking about Joda's encounters with, and opinions of, the church, and Barl seemed amused by Joda's description of Primata Delphine. Joda mentioned the Ragged Man not at all, Sima only in passing, and never as a spellcaster in her own right. Barl added another sheet of parchment and in the end, had three pieces, all printed with small, 
legible handwriting. Barl put the parchment sheets in a folder and returned the scarab ink and pen to the sideboard. Then he said, Do you know who I am? Joda looked at him. Your name is Barl. You said you were an artificer. You dress like a servant, but you don't wear a metal band around your neck. The others in the hall seem to be afraid of you. They call you friend, but they don't seem to mean it. You call them friend, but you don't mean it either. The stocky man gave a gratified smile, the first one that seemed to have real emotion behind it. My name is Barl. I am the chief artificer of the Lord High Mage Marisol, the master of the conclave. Only servants wear the torques. Magicians do not. Though I know not of spells as you and the others do, I work my magic in my own special way. The others are afraid of me. Friend is a token of respect, and all mages are equal here within the conclave's walls and considered friends. Including your Lord High Mage Marisol? asked Joda softly. I consider him my friend, said Barl, and he considers me his. He turned toward the door. This interview is over. If you wish to join our conclave as a student, you must pass one last challenge. Joda rose, but did not move toward the door. And if I don't want to join as a student? Barl turned to him and said, If you choose not to, or if you fail the challenge, you will be fitted with a torque and join us as a servant, entering the door for other would-be mages, carrying pots and cooking. Yes, we can make you do that. Shall we go? Joda followed. Barl led him down the main hallway and through an archway. Behind them, there was the sound of laughter, the crash of glassware on stone tiles, and more laughter still. Through the archway, they descended a staircase of white marble that turned into a staircase of gray stone and at last into a stairway of black iron. They spiraled there downward at a short distance and came at last to a great set of oak doors set with steel bands. Barl picked up a sheathed sword from a rack of similar weapons and handed it, hilt first, to Joda. Joda grasped the hilt, and Barl pulled the sheath back, releasing the blade. It was a broad blade, made of some coppery metal, and had inscriptions along its length. You might need this, he said. Joda looked at the inscribed weapon. The rune seemed to dance along its length. He nodded. Barl opened the door, and ushered Joda beyond it. Joda stepped through, and Barl shut the door behind the young man. Joda found himself in a narrow passageway, that opened out on a larger space ahead of him. Where the passageway opened outward, there was a portcullis, now drawn up. The floor was dark, damp earth. It always came down to Tess, thought Joda, and he hated Tess. Joda moved forward and saw that beyond the portcullis, the passageway opened into a narrow stadium, no more than 15 feet across and 50 feet from end to end. The opposite end was marked with another gate, also raised fully. Beyond the other gate was darkness. On all sides were stands. Stone benches piled one upon the other until there were twenty rows high. There were a few people to the stands. A large woman in a flamboyant dress, sleeping, her swan-shaped hat lay into one side. A drunken man, wearing a crimson mask, who regarded Joda with weaving, unsteady eyes. Another old man, frail and gray, who was reading a book, yawned, and put his text aside as Joda entered. Barl appeared at the top of the stands and made his way down to a point equidistant between the two gates. Ceremonial bunting had been hung over the rail here, though it had been spattered by blood and covered with dust. Barl turned to Joda. Are you prepared? He asked. Joda didn't know what to say, so he just raised his sword and saluted. Barl dropped his chin slightly in a bow.
Let the challenge begin then. There was a glimmer at the far entrance, and Jota stood his ground as his opponent entered the area. It was not human. In fact, it was more insect than any living thing Jota had seen before. It stood nearly as tall as he and had an almost triangular helmet tipped with large beetle-like eyes at the corners. It was encased entirely in a bronze-colored armor and it creaked as it walked, a high-pitched whine that tugged at the sides of Jota's brain. Jota noticed that one arm of the creature was slightly larger than the other and the armor along that arm was of a slightly different alloy, more tarnished and pitted. More importantly, that arm also wielded a great axe. The axe's handle was made of silvery metal, but its blade seemed to be made of glass or crystal. Jota expected his opponent to bow, to nod, or give some recognition to himself, or to borrow. Instead, he charged forward, immediately and wordlessly, each foot firmly planted in the soft, dark earth, gaining speed with each step. Jota smiled slightly and cleared his mind, pulling up the memories of the land as easily now as a weaver would pick up strands of thread from a loom. He did not need to imagine the old house, the entranceway, the spell that he sought. He just knew that he needed it, and it appeared the man in building within him. He shifted the sword to his left hand, then raised his right. He pointed at the creature's head and mentally released the latch that held back the spell's energies. The creature's head was encased in a ball of brilliant light. It did not slow down in the slightest. The smile faded from Jota's lips as the creature continued to charge, unaffected by the glowing brilliance that wrapped its head. Jota moved to one side, hoping the blinded creature would still charge right past him. But as it approached, the bronze-armored insect warrior raised its glass axe high and brought it around in a long, level stroke, about chest high. Jota stumbled backward, falling as he did so. The blade passed inches in front of his face, and he was suddenly on the ground. Jota twisted to the right, and the metallic creature's second blow smashed into the dark earth where he had been seconds before. Jota leaped up, hoping for a moment to regain his composure. His opponent would not give him that moment. Instead, it lunged forward, leading with the dull head at the top of the axe, and caught Jota in the stomach. Stars danced in front of Jota's eyes, and he staggered back another few paces, but did not lose his balance this time, nor his sword. He brought the blade up to meet the axe's next chopping blow and found he could not stop the heavy weapon, but he could turn it aside. His opponent's head looked like an angel's, its triangular shape surrounded by a now soft, almost holy glow. It recovered from the parry and brought down another chop identical to the first. Again, Jota took a step backward and turned the downward swing aside. The armored creature recovered and chopped again, each thrust parried in turn, but each thrust also driving Jota farther back. Barl watched the slow erosion of Jota's position through half-shut eyes, and shook his head slightly. He frowned. There was a shadow to his right, and he looked up. My lord mage, he said. How goes this one? said Mirsel, watching as Joda continued his slow retreat. Have we found a diamond in its rough? Promising at first, said Barl with a sigh. But it looks like he's a one-trick hedge mage, now out of its depth. Here's his file. He passed the folder to the taller man but his half-closed eyes never left the field. The Lord Mage's robes hissed over the stone as Marisol sat down next to Barl. The taller man opened the folder, ignoring the battle beneath them, and stroking his thin mustache. He nodded twice as he read the initial statements. At the bottom of the first page, his mustache twitched. Something? said Barl, not turning away from the match, but catching Marisol's sudden tick nonetheless. 
It says that the young man's ancestor was Jarsil, said Marisol offhandedly. Yes, said Barl. I did not recognize the name. Should I have? No, said Marisol. I do, though. Do you think he'll survive this little encounter alive? Barl frowned as Joda took another step back. He had retreated most of the way across the arena already. Chop. Parry. Retreat. Chop. Parry. Retreat. Unlikely, he said at last. Pity, said Marisol. I think he could have been useful in the library. Should I stop the challenge? asked Barl gruffly, but the Lord High Mage was already shaking his head. Of course not, said Marisol with a wicked grin. That would be cheating. On the dark earthen floor of the arena, Joda was nearly at the end of his tether. The armored creature had given no respite since the initial attack and seemed not to be phased in the slightest by the lights that danced around its eyes. The creature moved relentlessly, its axe pissing up and down tirelessly. Joda himself was near the breaking point, and sweat coursed down the sides of his face and into his eyes. Didn't it get tired? He wondered. How could it keep up the assault like that without ill effect? It was as if it was some sort of unlimited creature, programmed to respond to his actions in a certain way. As long as he parried the blow, the next blow would be identical, wearing him down. Joda grinned grimly as the realization dawned on him what exactly he was fighting. The armor was not armor covering a living creature, but the outer skin of some man-made construct, a device, like the one they spoke of in the old books, before the devastation, one of Urza's or Mishra's creations. The metallic man insect chopped again, and Joda parried and danced back. He knew what he fought now. The only question was how to buy himself the time he needed to defeat it. You may need this, Barl said when he gave him the sword. But not as a weapon, answered Joda. With the next chop, Joda flipped his arm upward as he parried the blow, letting it be carried by the axe. The crystalline blade of his metallic opponent brought the blade back toward its own face. It stepped backward for a moment, released one hand from the axe, and brushed the spinning sword aside, sending it clattering against the far wall. It had taken long enough for Joda to regain both his win and his concentration. As the creature raised the blade over its head to bring down one more blow, Joda raised a hand, pulled the memories forward, and placed his palm against the beast's metallic chest. The plates of its chest felt warm as Joda sent his power through the creature's limbs and joints. The creature halted in the middle of its upswing. Then, overbalanced, it slowly tipped backward and thundered onto the soft, dark earth of the arena floor. Joda dropped on one knee almost immediately afterward, breathing hard. He looked up at the stance. The resplendent woman was still sleeping, and the drunk had slipped into a coma. The old man with the book had returned to his text. Joda thought someone had entered during the fight, someone who had talked to Barl, but now the short, stocky man was alone in a seat. He clapped softly. You moved its enchantment, said Barl. I removed its axis. To that enchantment, said Joda, breathing hard. Slightly different spell. I thought you might want to use the machine again later. Barl smiled, and it was a warm smile. The artificer seemed relieved that Joda had succeeded. Indeed we might, he said. Now, let's get you cleaned up and ready for presentation.